Well, good morning from me, and uh, it's great to be able to bring the Word of God to you this morning. We're looking at the book of Luke. If you haven't been following with us, we are in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Gospel means the good news, and we would love to share with you the good news about Jesus. Uh, Luke is a biographical account of Jesus's life, and this morning we pick up in chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, turn to chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, the words will come up on the screen. But as you're turning there, we just give you the title. Today we're looking at Investing in Joy. We want to invest well, we want to invest wisely. And uh, it's evident that the, the world offers many things for us to give ourselves to and invest in, uh, whether it's investing our time, our efforts, our hopes, or our finances. There are many things we can invest in. And through the passages we're looking at today, uh, God makes it clear how to invest wisely, how to invest well. So we're gonna look at that. And uh, yes, we pick it up in chapter 12, Verse uh, 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all <clears throat> covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said this, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are, that, are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give, your, and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm just going to pray and then we'll, we'll get into it together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for your spirit. And I do pray this morning that you would help me by your Holy Spirit to speak life and truth. And I pray that those at home would know your spirit's presence, helping them to receive what you would want them to receive this morning. I do pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just let it 
rest on our ears and then go, but that we would take things to heart and act on them as you've called us to. I pray bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Just while we are uh, in this moment, I'd encourage you to pray a quick prayer at home because it's so easy, isn't it, to be sitting there with your cups of tea and your phone out perhaps and uh, not really be in the mindset of receiving from God. So I'd love to encourage you to pray a little prayer. God, speak to me this morning. Amen. Amen. So we're in this interesting uh, passage where we see Jesus has come off the back of saying some very, very sobering realities. He's been teaching, as you, if, you've, if you've heard the last few weeks, some things which are, are black and white. He's saying, you know, you're either with me or you're against me. He says, you've got to choose me. You've got to acknowledge me before man or I won't acknowledge you before my father in heaven. He's been speaking things that have eternal consequences. He's not playing around. This is no game. Jesus is speaking direct, consequential truths that have eternity in mind. There are real implications to our decisions and actions, Jesus is saying. It's not enough to simply agree with his teaching or even delight in them. Wow, how wise, how wonderful. It's how we act on the back of them that will have the impact, that will bear the consequences. And, and in this context, where Jesus is speaking sobering, eternity-shaping truths, this man calls out to him. And, and if you think about it that way, you realize, whoa, this man speaks kind of ignorantly, doesn't he? Jesus is speaking about eternal things, and this, this man speaks out, Jesus, will you help my brother to share inheritance with me, please? He's speaking with a kind of religious attitude, coming to God so that God could sort out some circumstantial things. This is what many people think God is. Many people look on Christianity and they think, oh, those Christians, they go to God to help themselves feel a bit better. It's a kind of superficial trinket, superstitious, I mean, to help, you know, if I do this, this and this, you know, I'll be a bit better. Things will be a bit easier. He seems to think that Jesus is someone powerful, someone wise, perhaps some sort of sage, he wants Jesus to sort out his issues. He wants Jesus to be a means to an end for him. But Jesus won't have any of that and he uses this as an opportunity to teach those around him. It's possible to get really close to Jesus. It's possible to come to Jesus. It's possible to speak with Jesus and miss him for who he really is. It's possible to get so close to him and not acknowledge him for who he is, to not surrender to him. You see, Jesus, Jesus wants this man to understand, I'm the God of the universe. I'm here to save souls. Those that, he says, who made me judge and arbitrator over you? That's a kind of strange phrase, isn't it? Because he is the judge, he's the judge of the world. Absolutely. But until someone comes under his kingship, under his rulership, He's not just going to sort out little things for them. He is interested in your circumstance. He is interested in this man's circumstance. He does want to help him, but most of all, he wants to help him by working on his heart to help him to know this is how you should behave in this circumstance. He really wants to help us to know how to respond to the difficulties of life, as well as help us in the difficulties of life with moving and shaping things. He wants to help you to grow more like him in the difficulties of life. 
So that's the scene. And Jesus has, he opens up by, by making this warning against covetousness. I've got three points. I'm going to talk about Jesus' warning against covetousness. I'm going to talk about the fruit of man's wisdom. And then I'm going to talk about the riches of God's wisdom. We start with Jesus' warning against covetousness. And I wonder if you know what it is to covet. Covet is not a word that we use in our everyday vernacular. We don't walk around chatting about how we covet things very often. But I kind of had the impression that it was more about jealousy than it is. And it's not that jealousy is not involved with it, but it's not necessarily getting annoyed with somebody else because of what they've got. But it is more about wanting what you don't have, wanting what you do not have, to be discontented with your lot, discontented with what you do have. And it's a sin that I think goes under the radar. It's massively pervasive and accepted and played upon even in our culture. And yet it goes under the radar. It's a sin that says that God doesn't know what he's doing. Because if we were in charge, we would have done it a different way. If, it, if I had it my way, I would have this, this and this, and I haven't got those things. I covet what I don't have. I'm not content with what I do have. It says that if you were in charge, you'd do a better job. It's a sin that, that cast the angels out of heaven as they weren't content with their position. It was a sin that helped drive Adam and Eve out of God's presence and out of paradise. I mean, can you imagine that choice? Our first parents were not content with paradise, with walking with God daily. They weren't content with that. They wanted what they couldn't have. They wanted what they didn't have. This is a pervasive sin. It's in the heart of every man since Adam and Eve, our first parents, made that choice. They coveted, so they fell. And it's the cause of all sorts of misery, all sorts of unhappiness all over the earth. Division, wars, greed, hatred, jealousy, affairs. They're all traceable back to this heart attitude of wanting what I don't have. God has made a mistake. He hasn't done it right. God can't be trusted, therefore. And we start to take things into our own hands, just like Adam and Eve did. I want what I haven't got. I'm going to take it into my own hands. But hasn't God said something? Look, <clears throat> I want to take this into my own hands. It's that attitude of, <clears throat> excuse me. A grass is greener on the other side. That, that discontentment of thinking there's always something better and I'm always frustrated and dissatisfied. Now I want you to think about this personally here yourself. Do you recognise this in yourself anywhere? Are you somebody who's constantly dissatisfied with your job? Always dissatisfied. Always thinking, oh, just looking for another job and then maybe getting another job and a few months later, a few years later, oh, just oh, getting another job and... You're not satisfied. Are you someone who's constantly dissatisfied with your spouse, always frustrated and grumpy about the lack of love or lack of what you thought it would be like? And you're thinking about what you haven't got more than what you have got. Are you, think, are you somebody who's dissatisfied with your singleness? Just constantly thinking about what you haven't got in a spouse and what you think you should have and what you want. Not content with the lot that you've got? 
Perhaps it's with your church. Perhaps you're constantly frustrated, discontent, unsatisfied with your church, with your leaders. There's a heart of covetousness there which would say, I want what I haven't got. And perhaps most pertinently to today's passages, it's your financial state. It's, you know, I, I, want, I want more so that I can have holidays that I don't get, so that I can have a car, so that I can, I, I want things. I want financial stability. I want financial strength. I want what I haven't got. In some way, it seems harsh to think that Jesus is saying that this man is coveting or to link it to covetousness when you think, well, this man is just, he's come to you with something that is unjust and he wants you to help him. Jesus, why are you talking about covetousness there? What do you mean? Stop thinking about what you can't have here. This should rightfully be this man's money, right? It seems a little bit harsh, but Jesus is aware that this man is, is looking at the fountain of all joy and all satisfaction right in the face. Jesus has been speaking about where life comes from and how he is the way. He is life. He is where joy is found. And then this man speaks in, can you sort this, set this issue out for me? Jesus is aware of the reality of where this man's heart is. Jesus is, is saying to this man, look, I'm in front of you and I'm life. And I'm speaking to you about life. I'm speaking to you about eternity. And you're saying, can you help me get some of this cash? You see how in that perspective, you think, oh, this is a bit embarrassing, actually. This man's got really caught up in something that he doesn't need to be. And he's dissatisfied when he's got, he's got satisfaction right in front of his face. He's got the answer to life with him. And he's thinking, can you help me get this cash? The Disney movie, The Lion King, has an interesting picture of this, where the, the father of the pride, Mufasa, is taking his son Simba up to the, the top of a, a, a hill and he shows him, he says, everything the light touches is our kingdom. One day it will all be yours. Everything the light touches. And the, the young lion's eyes widen. Wow. Wow. This is all ours. And then his eyes go over to, what about that shadowy place? And the father says, well, that's beyond our borders. And, and within a few days, Simba is, is sidled up to by the enemy, the baddie, Scar. And Scar whispers lies in his ears. And sure enough, soon he is wandering off to the one place that he's not supposed to go. This dissatisfaction, this covetous, I must have what I haven't got. But you've got the whole kingdom. Look at where everywhere the light touches. It's all yours. But I haven't got that. It's just like Adam and Eve, isn't it? You've got all paradise, you get to walk with God, but I haven't got access to that. So pervasive, it's so caught up in what we're like. We must be aware of the world, the flesh and the devil. Do you recognize that the world it, it is screaming at you all the time through advertising to covet? It is calling you to covet. I think we've accepted this so much because it is part of our everyday experience that we are being sold to. Covet this, covet this. You haven't got this. You haven't got this car. You haven't got these clothes. You haven't had this holiday. And it's always advertised to us. Be aware of the voice of the world and reject it. Be aware of the devil whispering to you, you haven't got this. If you have a little, 
be sure to trust God that for the moment, a little is good for you. At the moment, it is right for you to have a little. It would be not good for you to have too much. It would not be good for you at the moment to have more. When you think about it that way, doesn't that bring a sort of, oh, a peace to you to think, I can stop striving and, and all this screaming from the world, you haven't got, you haven't. This is what God has decided I should have right now. And I'm okay with that. If things have been taken away from you, trust God that his will is right and good. Rather than throw our toys out of the pram and get frustrated and angry, peace, joy come from being satisfied in what God has given you. You'll find more joy in trusting God and being contented with what he provides for you. Beware the voices of the world and the whisper of Satan that tell you that you need all sorts of things that you don't. Don't you know that, that feeling of, of, having, of wanting something, wanting something, wanting something and getting it and within a week thinking, I didn't, don't really need that, I don't really use that, I don't really wear that piece of clothing, but I do want that thing now. All the time, I want, I want, I want. Joy and satisfaction and peace is found in trusting God to be content with what I have right now. Secondly, so number one, beware of covetousness. Secondly, the fruit of man's wisdom. Before I go on, don't just beware of it, repent of it. Repent of it, turn from it. If you are somebody who's constantly thinking, I'm fed up with my spouse. I'm fed up with my job. I'm fed up with my lot. I don't like this, I'm, I'm not satisfied. Turn from that and be grateful for what God has given you. Turn back, say, God, I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my job. I thank you that I've got a roof over my head. Be someone who has a heart of gratitude. Repent of covetousness. Secondly, the fruit of man's wisdom. In the parable, Jesus paints this picture of this rich man who suddenly comes into more riches, so much that he can't even store it. And he comes up with this plan. I'm going to have bigger barns and store it and, and so that I can store all of it so I can retire early, put my feet up, eat, drink and be merry and, and, and have the good life. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It sounds really attractive. That sounds great. But it's revealed to us that his heart is set on the comforts of this life. His mind is set on the possessions and self-preservation, self-protection. I can store up and I'll be safe. I'll put this cocoon of safety around myself. It's pretty smart, it sounds smart. And the mind and the heart that is oriented to pleasure alone, it sounds prudent, it sounds wise. But God's voice speaks. The words of God are heard in Jesus' parable and God comes and says to this man, fool, foolish, mindless, brainless, stupid, you're a fool. Now how countercultural is that for us? How different is that, that our loving maker, Lord and Saviour, King of heaven, who loves you and cherishes you so much, says it is foolish 
to store up for yourself on earth. Because there's a twist in the story where it says, today your soul is required of you. What a poetic phrase. It made me laugh when I thought about it. You know, I just require your soul of you. He's saying, you're going to die. You're dying. Death. Your soul's being taken. And then he asks this question. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? The things that you have stored up for yourself, the things that you have grabbed, taken hold of, put a shield around, said, this is mine. Whose will they be? Whose will they be? Because they're not going to be yours. You've lost them right this moment. They're gone. You see, Psalm 2 says that kings and rulers make their plans and God sits in the heavens and laughs. We make our plans and we think, yeah, if I just get that, if I just get that, if I, if I can just put this shield around myself, if I can just be safe in this way, if I can just have that, work my, myself up the ladder, get there. That's kings and queens that he's talking about here, that laugh, let alone us. God sits in the heavens at these plans and, and laughs. Now you've got to think about the, why does it say God sits in the heavens? Well, it's talking about his perspective. God sits up, withdrawn. You know, like Google Earth, you can look at your house and you can zoom right up and see there's the big picture. God sits in the heaven. He sees the big picture. He has a heavenly perspective. He has an eternal perspective. The things we concern ourselves with, he sees in the right perspective. The things we hope will bring us joy, he sees for what they are. The money and possessions we hope will bring us comfort and make us merry, he sees them as woefully inadequate. He sees the bigger picture. He sees much more accurately than we do. He sees much more accurately than we do. But I need this, I've got to take that, I've got to get that. What does God say? Because he sees the end. That's why it says in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. I used to be a teacher and I'm a parent of uh, pri uh, primary school kids now. Sometimes young children come to you with such confidence and they say a statement very confidently and uh, it's just not true at all. They just are completely wrong. They don't have the insight, they're understanding. My four-year-old came to me recently, said something like, Dad, one million and four is two million. No, but the confidence and the assertion with which he, he spoke it, it was there and, and that in itself was foolishness, wrong. We need to have the perspective or we need the perspective of the one who is not bound by time to teach us how to invest. You ever had that daydream where you, <laughs> you think, I wish I could go back in time and invest in Google. I wanna go back in time and invest in Apple. I wanna go back and, and, and bet a thousand pounds on Leicester City winning the Premier League in 2016, 17. You ever had those thoughts? that perspective of being outside of time. We need the perspective of the one who is not bound by time to teach us this is how to invest. I'm giving you inside knowledge. I'm giving you the answers. If you ever have that daydream, I wish I could go back and do that. There'll be a day when you won't be able to go back. We can't go back now, but there'll be a day when you'll think, 
I'm glad I invested wisely. Or you may think, I didn't, I've got nothing to show. Did you know the ancient Egyptian tombs of the pharaohs, they held everything a pharaoh would need in the next life. They thought they could take things with them into the next life. Food, clothing, jewelry, boats, chariots, weapons, games, a toilet. These things have been found in tombs that they could take into the next life. Even the pharaoh's cats were mummified to keep them company. Some pharaohs were buried with real servants. They bumped them over the head and buried them with their servants. With the, with the pharaohs. God's point to the man in the parable is you can't take anything with you. Job says in Job 1, naked I came out of the womb, naked I will depart. And it's, Paul says in 1 Timothy, we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of it. See, God knows how to invest well. He knows what is a terrible and foolish investment. Don't be a fool. Ironically, the ancient Egyptians would store the liver, the intestines, the lungs and the stomach of the pharaohs inside special containers. They were called canop can canopic jars. But amazingly, they didn't think the brain was important. So they would suck it out through the nose and just discard the brain. Isn't that wonderfully ironic? The, wor the word fool can be tra uh, translated as mindless brainless. What a picture of foolishness to take the trouble to store up money, possessions for yourself, to prioritise things and think the brain doesn't matter. Prioritise it over the brain. It's a quite a helpful little parable for us as well, isn't it there? Thirdly, so we see secondly, the fruit of man's wisdom is, is emptiness. Beware, beware the emptiness of storing up for yourself on earth. But thirdly and importantly, the riches of God's wisdom, the riches of investing well and listening to God and trusting God. He teaches us how to make the wise investment. See, Jesus said in the story that life does not consist in the abundance of man's possessions. Life does not come from man's possessions. The wisdom of God is to know what life consists of. What does life consist of? The foolish man was thinking of a future that wasn't guaranteed. He was thinking of a future that he did not get. In the end, he was not thinking far enough into the future. He was storing stuff that could only temporarily be held. It couldn't be taken with him. God wants you to store up what can be taken with you. He wants you to invest what can be taken with you. The wise man is the one who stores up treasure in heaven. See, Jesus went on to talk to his disciples and explain, didn't he, that life consists of, of what? It consists of God's faithfulness, that he will provide for you. His faithfulness towards you. Life consists of God providing and sustaining your life. Life consists of God taking pleasure in giving to those that put their trust in him the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches that wisdom is not in storing up ample for yourself, for safety and merriment, but trusting in the one who values you. Life is, is about being free from the shackles of 
trying to grab merriment and safety in possessions and money and letting go and giving. Letting the generosity that God has bestowed, the riches that God has given to us, flow out of us. God values you more than the lilies, Jesus says, more than the ravens. And look, they are beautiful. They are well cared for. He values you enough to lavishly give his kingdom to you. See, lilies and ravens, yeah, that's, that's, that's a helpful illustration because he's talking about clothing. He's talking about food. They have more than enough. They're beautiful. They are, they're well fed. But we know that, that God provides for us more than material things. We can trust him for material things. So let go of your need to grab hold of material. Let go of your need to, to maybe hoard onto, I need that thing to make me, no, 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 let go. God will provide for you material, but he provides more. He, he gives the kingdom. He, it's his delight to give you the kingdom. He values you enough to give you his own son. Jesus Christ willfully gave his own life. He took on your sin on the cross. He, he died on a bloody wooden cross to make a way for you. He values you enough to make a way to put your name in the book of life so that you could be an heir of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. This is how much he values you. Oh, how rich you already are if you've put your faith in Jesus. Oh, how rich you could be if you put your faith in Jesus. The riches of this world are so finite. They're so dusty. They're so lacking. He offers you richness which will never be taken from you. J.C. Ryle, preacher and theologian, 19th century said this, such a man is truly rich. His treasure is incorruptible. His bank never breaks. His inheritance does not fade away. Man cannot deprive him of it. Death cannot snatch it out of his hands. All things are his already, life, death, things present and things to come. And best of all, what he has now is nothing to what he will have hereafter. Riches like these are within the reach of every sinner who will come to Christ and receive them. May we never rest till they are ours. To obtain them may cost us something in this world. It may bring, us, it may bring on us persecution, ridicule and scorn, but let the thought console us that the judge of all says thou art rich. The true Christian is the only man who is really wealthy and wise. Do you know the honor of being a Christian? Do you know how rich you are? Do you know the glory of being God's own? Do you have, have you had the Lord of the universe crown you with his love and his delight? What do you possibly need that you don't already have in Jesus? Money? Possessions? I've got Jesus. I've got the kingdom. I've got my eternity secured. I'm called a son. I've got the ear of God. I've got the embrace of God the Father. The one who has heavenly perspective and holds all things in his hand holds me. What more could I possibly 
covet. To the degree that you understand what Jesus has given you, you will be able to let go of the need to covet money and possessions and the other things that this life has to offer. You'll be able to let go of fear and anxiety. Jesus says, don't be anxious. To the degree that you know what you have in Christ, you'll be able to not be anxious. Trust him, understand how much God values you and how faithful he is to his own. The challenge for some of us is to focus on everywhere the light touches, as Mufasa would say. Everywhere the light touches is yours, not to focus on the shadowy area. Be amazed at what he has given you in Christ. Instead of being like Simba the lion and only being concerned about what he is lovingly withholding from you. Trust him that what is withheld is lovingly withheld from you. Let go of the mistrust that makes you store up for yourself. I've heard stories of orphans who have come out of dingy orphanages where they didn't really get anything and being brought into lovely middle-class homes and it took months for them to stop storing and stealing food and hiding it in places because they were so used to having to take for themselves and after a while they realised, I don't have to. These people love me. They'll give me more than I could ever steal from myself. I don't need to steal. It's all here for me. God loves you in a way that you need to know. I don't have to store. I don't have to hold things tight to myself. I don't have to be selfish. I don't have to covet what I don't have. Next week, we're having this big gift day. We want to raise £150,000 as a church. God has incredibly provided for us over the last four or five years. Millions, literally, of pounds. We're a church of about 300 people. 400 maybe, depending. <laughs> God has provided millions of pounds. We're looking to raise yet another extraordinary amount of money. It's an opportunity to answer this question that God asked the man in the parable. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? You holding on, I, I've got plans, I've got ideas. I, I don't know what it's for, but it's for a rainy day. It's for my safety, it's for my comfort, it's for my... God's saying you won't find safety and comfort in finance. Next week is a wonderful opportunity for us to say, I trust in you. I let go. I can give not just the cream off the top, I can give. I can give what I was holding on to for my own. And knowing that you give, you give more than I need. You give, you, you give what you know I truly need. We don't give to keep God happy or to try to gain his approval. We're not going to give next week to think, good, I've done that now, God. You should be happy with me or, or I've done that now God will owe me and I'll have a good few weeks. I'll have a good few months. I'll have a good year until the next offering we have. I've paid for it. No, that's not why we give. We give because he's paid for it. He's paid for you. We give because he's given extraordinarily, extravagantly. He has been so rich toward us in giving us his son, giving us his very own kingdom. By trusting him with our finances and our possessions, we invest wisely. 
we invest wisely. We don't just invest wisely for now, though it will be a good investment for now, because it, it, it lets the shackles off of things that aren't supposed to give us the joy and peace and hope that we look for in, in them. It, it, we throw them, we discard them, we say, no, you're not my God. So it will help you for now, but it will invest in the future. In the long-term future, you're storing up treasure in heaven where there will, will be a reward for those who trust in God. We invest in line with God's guidance. There can't be any better guidance. There's no better wisdom than God's guidance. Invest in his guidance and invest in joy. Invest in joy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you know best, you want best for us. You have better for us. We are screamed at from every side. You need this. You should take this. You should go after this. Father, help us to see you as the pearl of great price. And we say, you're all I want. I'll sell everything I have to get you. To trust you. Not just to get a ticket to heaven, but to I get to know you. I get to know your ways. I get to trust your ways. I get to un have wisdom that comes from your perspective. I pray help us to say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. That sounds like a good, wise investment to me. And I'll let go of what I've been investing in. I really pray that you'd help people to turn away from lies this morning and start on that pathway of saying, God, I'm, I, I want to invest well. I want to invest in eternity and I invest in joy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you soon.